Hi folks, welcome to the 8th episode of the Finance Hour. This episode we've taken a slightly different approach. Craig and I just have a chat about different things that we've noticed in the world of business and finance over the last couple of weeks. There are some great topics. I have a chat about insurance fraud and the honest truth about dishonesty. Uh, We have a chat about banks increasing interest rates. Craig gives us some insight into paying on lay-by and the challenges of the baby boomer generation getting online. We also have a good chat about the arrival of Amazon and Alibaba and what that means for consumers and for the economy in general. And of course, we've got my usual propeller head of the week. This week's about insurance once again. So enjoy the show. If you've got any feedback at all, please email me, rubenz at adaptwealth.com.au. If you want to find out more about me and my business, www.adaptwealth.com.au. Good afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour once again, whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast. This is a show where we try and make sense of the world of personal finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. My name's Ruben Zelwa. I'm the Principal uh, Financial Planner and Owner at Adapt Wealth Management and with me for the very last time for his grand finale performance <laughs> is none other than Craig Bigelow, Financial Planner and Principal of True Pride. What a welcome. Welcome, Craig. Thanks, mate. It's a grand final. It is a grand final. I've been training for weeks. <laughs> How are you feeling about it? Uh, emotional? A little or? nervous. You know, I want to leave it all out there. Get 110%. Exactly. You're do gonna, it for the boys. You're going to have to leave it all out there today. That's right. Um, but it's great to have you, and it was great having you for the last couple of months. Thanks, mate. It's been fun. As well, it's been really um, really good, and yeah. it's a lot easier than talking to myself, as I realized last week. You're a pretty interesting bloke, I say. <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, look, um, we're going to take a bit of a different uh, take this week. Rather than sort of picking a specific topic, we're going to just have a chat about what's been going on in the world of finance. I guess what what things have been going on in the business world that's kind of piqued our interest mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. Yep. And, you know, there's always so much out there. So I think we're going to have just a good general discussion about, about a few different things. Perfect, mate. Now, I might kick off. Go with the first one. So this was something interesting. Last week we were talking about insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an interview with Andrew Davis from Choosewell, which was fantastic. And I did probably at the beginning of that episode, you know, I maybe defended insurance companies a little bit, um, which is probably a little bit unpopular. Um, but what I was saying was that we always hear in the news the bad things, the things that aren't claimed, you know, the people don't get paid out for. We don't, you'll never hear in the news, you know, Man's family gets paid out two million dollars, mm-hmm. you know, after he's had a heart attack, and they can pay off their debt and pay their school fees. Yep. But you'll obviously hear the ones where it's where it's bad news, and I think it, part of that's also because when people come to claiming from insurance, it's always a very emotional and sensitive time for them. So I, I guess everyone is sort of you know mm. extra sensitive. Yep. But anyway, along those lines, I read a really interesting article this week in the Herald Sun on the weekend. Um, which was talking about not insurance companies ripping people off, but actually people, the consumers, ripping insurance companies off. 
So this was a report that was done by KPMG. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it may well have been um, um, instructed by the insurance companies. Yep. I, it didn't sort of go that that in the article. But what they did was they interviewed lots and lots of people uh, and, you know, around different insurance claims, you know, home and contents, car, life insurance, etc. And what they came up based on their survey was that at least 50% of people exaggerated their claims in some way. Now, generally, this was home and contents and car. You mm. know, they said with, with home and contents, people would, you know, they'd add an extra thing that wasn't necessarily yep. stolen. Yep. Uh, with cars, they actually said um, what some people do is they'll, they'll get some damage on their car, then they'll take like a, a cricket ball, whack it in a sock, and, you know, belt around a couple of other areas yep. of their car, which might need fixing mm-hmm. anyway. So, and they put the number of false claims, you know, the dollar value on it, something like, you know, $2.2 billion or something crazy like that. So my question to you, Craig, is are we a country of liars? I think the answer is yes. You know, I, I do know, I do know lots of people that have done just that, travel insurance, um, General insurance. We were talking about the other day. We were taking off to go and play golf away for the weekend, and someone was saying, "I oh, remember to take photos of your clubs, but take photos of someone who's got brand new ones, so that yeah. you could tell them it was replaced." And yeah. you know, making false police reports overseas that things have been stolen, all those sort yeah. of things are not uncommon. But um, you know what? I, I think if KPMG are publishing that in the Herald Sun, the insurance companies know about it, and they probably priced mm. it in. You know what I mean? Like, and I and I'm not saying that. <laughs> the end justifies the means mm. but all i'm saying is that i think that they'd be aware of the fact that people are doing it and i think you run a risk of being caught and is it really what it's like your tax return right like mm. you can submit whatever you want as a tax deduction you know like claim your full rent yeah you know? but the system of insurance it does it does like everything in society depend on people correct acting in a certain way and yep. being truthful and if and if people aren't yep then their claims go up and premiums eventually well, that's, go up. And that's what I'm saying. So, so, you know, everyone gets affected by it. It's exactly what so I'm saying. So you need, yeah. I mean, you know, it's really important to keep the integrity. Well, I guess the thing is you've also got to look at it like, is the greater community going to have the integrity to, for the rest of them? Or if you do the right thing, I, c- I guess you can only really look after your own street, can't yeah. you? So if everybody looked after their own street, then it'd be fine. But I think that there are always going to be a percentage of people that are going to do the, the wrong thing. Yeah, that's you know? right. It's just... It just I guess that's frightening at what how much that percentage is. And I think it's also it's it's funny, it's you know, it's always easy to easy to see other people's, you know, lying or whatever, but yep. not your own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You sort of have judge other people it? a lot more harshly. Have I ex- have I done extra claims on insurance? No. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't done it. Yeah. No. Well fifty percent of us have. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually interesting. I mean, I find that whole uh thing about you know people being truthful and whatever is yep. a really interesting uh sort of social experiment there's a yeah. guy called dan Ariely mm-hmm. who's like a social uh, behavioral economist so what basically behavioral economists say you know we we talk about all this theory we learn in uni which is you know demand equals supply and everyone behaves rationally and all that mm-hmm. and this kind of school is like that's actually a load of rubbish. People don't behave rationally. Yep. People make decisions based on incomplete information. Yep. They make decisions based on emotion and a whole lot of things, right? So, but one of the things um, that one of his books about, it's called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, mm-hmm. right? And he basically, you know, the, the initial part of the book is where he says, look, you know, everyone thinks that they're honest, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not. 
you know, lying is just a part of the human condition. Yeah. Right. And then he runs all these sorts of social experiments and putting people in situations, you know, giving them tests where yep. they've potentially got the answers on the other page and, you know, doing all these sorts of things to see, you know, if and when people lie. Yeah. You know. Well, I saw, I heard one the other day, they were talking about, um, they took a section of people that were, were doing, like they were studying something that was about honesty and, yep. um, and faith and all those sort of things. And between the school and where they had to go for their lessons, they put someone that was struggling on the street. Yeah. And they put two experiments. They put one when they had plenty of time mm. and they had one when they were running late. And um, they found that um, being in a rush reduced the amount of time that these people or reduced the percentage of people that actually stopped to help someone who needed yeah. help. Yeah. Um, so not only are people susceptible for lying but depending on the circumstances they're mm. even more likely to do certain things yeah. which is interesting too well so. depending on exactly what's Correct. going on in their yeah. life so if you've had a the time. you know you're mentioning the the alarm in your house going off last night yeah would you do the same thing today as you would if there yeah. was no no you're right if you're night. affected by tiredness or yeah. emotion and that's yeah. yeah and i guess that's part of that whole behavioral thing that says like we don't we don't act rationally no one of the interesting one of the really interesting experiments that i saw in that in that book was what he does he goes into like a college dorm mm-hmm. and in the college dorm they've got a, a vending machine that's got coke you know with that gives coke right yeah and it's a dollar a coke mm-hmm. so what he does is two things first he puts in the fridge he puts like six cans of coke yep right and he also puts a separate bowl which has got six dollar coins on it you know right and he comes back to see, you know, a few days later to see what's gone, right? And the dollar coins are still there. Yep. Um, but the cans of Coke aren't. Right. Right. Because, you know, when really they're, they're worth exactly the same thing. They just didn't see right? it as stealing. They didn't see it as stealing because it yep. was kind of one step re- removed. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which is really interesting. And I think that's why I mean, with insurance companies, people see it as as one step removed. And also, yeah, you're right. There's no face to the insurance company. You know what? I'm not actually, like, if you left your phone on the table, yeah. I'm not going to take your phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, if you left your phone on the bus, is someone going to take it um, and be like, you know, yeah. like, I've, I've had someone take my phone before yeah. when they don't actually have to see the fact that you're a nice person. That's you know? right. Yeah. So it's really about it being, as you say, it's about, it's about being as well. situational and personal or not. Yeah. And what he actually... Um, what he says in it, he was talking about like what can help people become more honest or what do you do like in a workplace or yep. in society in general. And uh, he said all these sort of things like code of ethics and all that stuff like that doesn't have any correlation to people being more honest. Okay. The only, what, what, the only thing that potentially does work is if you kind of make them sign a declaration or something before they've started doing something or you give them some reminder before they're actually doing the thing that actually has effect so what he was saying for so example before with, someone took the can of coke for example exactly they signed it yeah and the yep. typical the, the example was you know with insurance claims you fill out your whole thing and then you sign it at the end yes and he was suggesting well what you should do is actually do the declaration at the beginning yep it's much more likely to the same with tax returns right it's much more likely to change your behavior right interesting you just give them that that reminder at the right time yeah that stuff's fascinating isn't it you i know, find that, that really fascinating yeah. like that whole um, well, I guess that's the beauty of the digital age as well. Like you can split test a lot of that stuff and, mm. and sort of really capture the data if, you know, for example, how many fraudulent tax returns are submitted if the declaration was at yeah. front versus the end. Exactly. And you can really get granular on that detail. And yeah. I think that's really interesting for businesses. If you're not testing 
and people in general, if you're not testing different assumptions, yeah. um, you've got no idea what works the best. So, um, And it could be even parenting, you know, like trying two ways of saying the same thing or yeah. in relationships trying two ways of saying the same thing. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's if, true. If you're not testing it and yeah. measuring it, then you yeah. don't know, do you? Yeah. yeah. And it's obviously easier to do that when you've got a big data set. Correct. You know, that, that obviously makes it easier. Yeah, but I mean, the data set of one's enough, you yeah. know, like, as long as you keep good notes on it yeah and i think that's the that's the challenge most people don't document much yeah you know and and that's something i've been working on a lot this year is just documenting lots of things that were yeah. important to me that you just, doc you said to me you were documenting your golf game yeah like, yeah so I, I keep sort of track of what i do beforehand mm. i keep track of what i have to eat or drink during mm. the round um, I have I make notes of what worked and what didn't, and um, just some general commentary at the end and how I scored and yeah. And ever since I've done that, I've played better, you know. And there's some commonalities. Like for me, not hitting the ball before I play works mm. better than hitting the ball. And so I've, I've tried a few different ways. So whether it be getting there half an hour early, hitting a bucket of fifty balls before I play. Same thing as tennis, you know. Yeah. Do you warm up? Do you just get there and have some serves, or versus taking some volleys? Or yeah stretch or run or yeah um were you running late were you there early yeah what did you eat before exactly did you overeat or whatever like yeah yeah so for me it's it's not hitting balls beforehand drinking only water during the round Mm. and um yeah putting and chipping before and that's it Mm. and getting there with time so i'm not rushed yeah that they're the things that work for me it's interesting though. Yeah. Well, you're, you're very good with time, aren't you? Always, when I come to the radio show here, you're always sitting out the front waiting. I've been here all day. I, I thought it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So, um, your turn. Yeah, I, I guess, um, well, I was up in Bendigo, as you know, the last couple of weeks. And yep. um, one thing that I found a lot of was they're typically an older demographic, um, dealing with Centrelink, doing those sorts of things. Mm. And, and just how difficult it is now if you're not, online savvy so uh, yeah. i had one i went to medicare the other week myself and it was everything was online yeah. download the, there was people there helping you download the app yeah upload forms and i guess i just wanted to talk a bit more about that and and where you see it all heading and mm. how people can overcome it i guess if if it isn't you're not a natural you know mm. like what do you do yeah well it's definitely the way it's going i mean the biggest impact of that has obviously been banking correct yeah that was probably the first mover in that area yeah everything going online uh and i mean it's interesting these things in a way you know it's generational because obviously a generation that's always grown up with it are going to adapt to it yeah more easily but really you know everybody everyone has to yeah because you know, it, 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 there's becoming less and less options of doing things in, in person. Yeah. You know, everyone's trying to cut costs. So, so you, it's one of those things you can't, I guess, you know, even for that older generation, you can't bury your head in the sand. You're just going to end up being, you know, cut off enormously unless, you know, you can do it. But there are lots of ways, and I know that you've done a bit in terms of educating yeah. all generations of, of doing things. I mean, there's obviously a lot of that around which is important yeah so one thing we did last year was um we have a couple of seminars up there a year and uh at the end of it i was you know i'm always uh, looking for ways to add value to Mm. my retiree clients because i think you know a lot of the hard work as you know goes in up front and then it becomes very much maintenance yeah Um, but you know i was just trying to find ways that i could help 
that was something that I was aware of. And, and one thing that I asked was, you know, around computer literacy and yeah. setting up email addresses and security and, and what questions and concerns people had. And, mm. um, and what we built off the back of that was a, a closed session where I'd actually help people facilitate you know, how to set up a Gmail account, how to get a Hotmail account, yeah. how to register for internet banking, how to be able to log into their, um, you know, their product portfolio and check yeah. out what their balances are and that sort of thing. Absolutely. But do it in a way that they didn't have to ask someone in their family. Well, I think um, that's it. I think it's also, you, you know, it's in a non-threatening way yeah. where they don't have to feel like they're asking stupid questions. And they were doing it in a room of people that had exactly the same questions. Yeah. So we, we, yeah, covered that off and, and we've set them up with MyGov, with, yeah. with the Centrelink and they can update their assets as opposed to having to go in now and yeah. and doing that sort of, and just sort of helping people to, to share that knowledge, I guess, that yeah. comes naturally to me. But what I realized was that it wasn't Doesn't natural, come to, natural to everybody. Yeah. But I guess the other thing that I, I see is that I'm pretty blasé when it comes to security and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But the people who I find are the most concerned are IT professionals. And that mm. makes me nervous, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's like, you know, going to a lawyer mm. and they're the ones that see the really bad side. Correct. Yeah. Whereas generally the, mo- the, you know, the bulk of us day to day don't see those problems. Well, but I have had... I've had problems. I had problems with a PayPal account. Yeah, okay. I had a PayPal account get hacked. I've had credit cards yeah. on numerous occasions be hacked. It's a massive issue. I mean, we you know, deal with Macquarie Bank quite a bit in terms of you know, helping clients make payments from mm-hmm. cash accounts and the like. And now every single time someone makes a payment, they call them up. Yeah. They grill them. They call me. They grill me. They say, was it under your advice? Was the client in well, front they, of you when they signed it? It is unbelievable. They had a massive the run. they go to. Macquarie had a massive run of fraud last mm. year. So they had, I think, three big cases that they got done on and they're the most strict. Um, yeah. And when signatures don't match, they're interested. Yeah. They, won't le- they won't accept electronic. Um, yeah. They're... Yeah, they've, they've been hurt by I it. feel like we spend half our time following that stuff up. It's, yeah. It's... It's frustrating, but on the other hand, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't have that experience. No, that's right. So, but but cyber cyber security—that's a massive topic. I mean, it's a big topic for governments yeah. and all around the world. It's a it's an enormous issue. Yeah, and I just think that it's one thing to sort of say, "Look, we're trying to be efficient. We're trying to save money and remove mm-hmm. people." But until you feel comfortable doing it, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it, it just. There was a time when checks weren't real, you know, everyone dealt in cash and then checks became currency and before that it was probably animals, you know, people yeah. traded livestock and then when the first coin was introduced, people were like, you know what, you're going to give me that and I'm going to get that. That's it right, been it weird. didn't make any so sense, yeah. I think as things change, things are going to be weird for a while Yeah. and it's a little bit like drug dealing in the police, I think, that the drug dealers are probably going to be ahead of the police yeah. most of the time. Um but you hope that they catch up and it's closer. They narrow that down. Yeah. And I think, you know, the banks are pretty good. If you if your credit card gets nabbed or some suspicious transactions happen, they're pretty good, aren't they? Like they're, mm. they're on it. They refund the money, um, all that sort of thing. I've never had an experience where I've been left out of pocket. No. But I have had a time where it's been out of pocket. If that, But yeah. people need to monitor it more closely I think as well so. now. For example, if you're spending most of your money on a credit card, yep. you've got to be monitoring your credit card statements. And Correct. a lot of people probably don't. No. When you're just spending cash, you know exactly what's going out. So yeah, I wonder how much undetected fraud there is and that people, 
Yeah. You, you know, if there's a big amount that came out of your account, like you'd a $10,000, you'd notice. Yeah. But if there was 20 bucks a month well, with something sort of nondescript. And I think that's probably what people people play on, you know, like they, they prey on um, people's ignorance, I guess. Correct. And if they put it through as something that kind of looked like something, I'd have I'd have 35 software subscriptions that come out monthly um, right. under various different names. Exactly. And they're, they're often no under different company names yep. and then you try and Google the company and it doesn't it really tell you much. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of the time it's okay. Yeah. But there's no doubt. I reckon doing it in small amounts is probably the smarter way for them to go. I'm sure they're doing it already. Agreed. They can do smaller amounts across a whole lot. Yep. All righty. Uh, now, the other one that I wanted to raise was interest rates. Okay. Always an exciting topic. Always out there in the marketplace. And what we've seen over the last few weeks is banks increasing rates on investment loans particularly mm-hmm. and also on people who have got interest-only loans for their for their houses. Yep. Yeah, which was for personal purposes, particularly on investment loans. And it's interesting because there's always this argy-bargy going on between the government and the banks. Yeah, the Reserve Bank of Australia, they cut their rates by 0.25%. Then the banks, do they or don't they cut by that much? If they don't, the pollies get up and bag the, bag at them and they say, look, we're trying to, we've got a higher cost of funding, etc." But what's really interesting with this is at the moment, the government is concerned about the housing boom mm-hmm. and the rise in investment loans. Mm-hmm. In fact, APRA, which is the supervisory body, has said to the banks, you can't grow your investment loan lending more than 10% per year, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. They've actually put a strict cap on what they can do. I've never seen that before. So what the banks are doing is they're saying, okay, well, we've got to be more prudent in terms of how we lend. And part of that is increasing our interest rate. That's their logic somehow. And what's really interesting is the government, the pollies, aren't giving them a hard time for it because they can't because they're on the investment loan side, they're actually trying to achieve the same thing. So you've got banks now increasing interest rates. They always blame their source of funding. Mm. Obviously, their their cheapest source of funding is people putting deposits in the bank, but they also need to source money from overseas. And with what's going on in America, the cost of interest rates going up as well. They source money from their rates go up and they've got a high cost funding. That's what they're blaming it on. But you know, you wonder if they're just taking this as a political opportunity to raise rates without copying it from the police. Mm. I, I, this isn't a bank bash by any means, but no. I just think that, you know what, if it's in line with the Reserve Bank, then I think it's fair, you know? Mm. And I think the thing that annoys me about it is that you've got no choice. You know what I mean? Like if, if, we all know how hard it is to change banks, you know, pick up our whole life and walk to another institution. Yeah, but mortgage brokers are doing that all the time. The average length of time of a loan is something ridiculously short. I can't remember what it was, but it was less than five years. Now, I don't know if that means refinancing with the same bank but even, or moving to another bank, but, but even it's pretty still, short. Well, five years is, is probably long enough to forget the pain, but if you're going to move banks every time your bank puts up the rates outside mm. of the RBA, you're going to be moving a lot more often than five years. Mm. So I guess the thing that, you know, there's hap- it happens when you mentioned before when the RBA puts rates up, some of the banks even delay it by, you know, a week or two. Mm. And the number that that quantifies to as profit difference is huge. Like the Commonwealth Bank, I think the number mm. was like $5 billion or something ridiculous. But the truth is, is that link between the RBA changing their rates and banks changing their home loan rates 
when we come to expect that as being you know, normal, they should correlate one to one. The reality is, it's that that's not the case because no. the RBA set the rates for what banks can borrow yes. from the RBA to help fund their loan book, but that's only a very small percentage of their money that comes from there. But if so, they, so the whole principle of that a bank should follow what the RBA rates are is doesn't actually make much sense. Well, if if a, the majority of the funding comes from um, other customers' deposits and mm. they're putting rates up on that, then there is there should be a correlation as long as they put the same up on interest mm. rates that they're providing as to cash depositors. Right, unless they're borrowing, borrowers. yeah, unless they're borrowing a portion of the money, which they are more and more. Yep. from overseas markets. So, so they're what, borrowing in the US. What's to the fund. end? Do they declare what portion of it is overseas and have a different rate applied? It, it gets too hard. They, they don't declare it, but I'm just saying that the, um, yeah, that correlation we we come to expect it, yeah. and the pol- everyone everyone migrates to it. Either yep. they've increased their rates by more than the RBA or by less, and they're either good or bad. Yeah. I'm just saying that's you know, it's not real economics. But, it's just but uh, the interesting part is that you know you and I both run businesses and we're entitled to change our prices whenever we want, mm. right? But the thing that we don't have to do that the banks do is declare profit. And the banks at the end of the year make a pretty healthy profit at the moment. Mm. And if their cost of banking had gone up that much, I don't think that their shareholders for the Commonwealth Bank would be pretty up picking up as hefty checks as they are now. Yeah, but it's also I, I think sometimes that can be misleading the absolute dollar level of profit, right? So you say. CBA made $4 billion and that's obscene, yep. right? But you don't that's know what actually goes into making that profit, the number of staff they employ, the amount of capital that they need, no, I, the number of shareholders that they have, yep. you know. So the, the the absolute dollar number looks obscene, but but on a if you break it down onto per employer or per amount of capital that they need, it may not be quite as much, but it's it's a it it doesn't matter how much that is. It, it should be as a percentage of their turnover, right? So it, right. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what their input is. Um, but if if it's a well, and also also it, based on what risk they're taking yeah. as well. I mean, if you're if you've got a higher risk type business, potentially you. Yeah, but, but you should make also, a higher return. But why should they be penalised for making profit? What I find, you know, a profitable business is a sustainable business mm. and good on them for making profit. Mm. But what I'm saying is to then turn around and say that our cost of delivering is such that we need to put our interest rates up mm. outside of the RBA, that's right. when I think you should have a look at it and right. go, okay, how much profit do you need and how much of it should come from us or how much of mm. it should come from your business mm. practices, like maybe getting rid of some of your middle management that potentially aren't needed as opposed to looking to go and get yeah. that shortfall from customers. Right, but you can't impose that on them in any way because no. you could, you know the government or anyone can't I'm impose not, that. They're, no. a, they're an independent sort of company. Yeah. So the and way want they want that, to pull the levers is, is up to them. We want the question is, is, is there enough competition out there Correct. to keep them honest? Correct. And the four banks have obviously got a very big monopoly on that. Monopoly, yeah. but uh, yeah, there are lots of other players in there now as well. Yeah, and there are mortgage brokers which are probably now originating. I don't know what the percentage is. Almost half of all the loans. Yeah, and they're obviously much more fluid. They they move your customers around from one bank to the next. Yep. So you'd expect there to be enough competition to keep them honest. Yeah, but. Having said that, they all seem to move in lockstep, though, don't they? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So, um, anyway, interest rates are always always in the news. What's also interesting about it as well uh, is that we're hearing a lot about asset price bubbles. So, the property's going up as much, and the government sort of putting, or APRA, putting that sort of limit on 10% 
growth in loans. Mm. And the question that came to my mind is, is, you know, is it government's role to help manage asset prices, to manage asset price bubbles? Is that really their job? We've got a free market around that can do that. Is that... Well, is that actually a, a good thing that they're doing? Well, if you look at the US, you know, when they did have their property bubble, who was responsible and who came in and bailed out the big banks in, in the, the government? So they're either going to be responsible at that end or they can mm. be responsible up front. So mm. we do have a framework that has recourse borrowing. So mm. um, at least the banks have the assets to sell before um, people can walk away uh, from yeah. the house and not have to pay the debt. But yeah. I think that there is a responsibility at some point to make sure that we don't have the the situation where people are rushing to the bank to get everything out and mm. stuffing it under their mattress because we don't trust the system mm. anymore. I think the system needs to be regulated in some ways to make sure that people feel safe. Mm. And but like, it is interesting though. The the question is is okay. They can try and do that. I wonder how actually how I, effective they are yeah. at it. I, I think. Do you that's, know what I mean? Like, are they actually able to do it? And I don't know if we'd ever know that answer. Mm. You know, like unless we had the CEO of. Commonwealth Bank in and sort of saying like how much do they actually dictate to you in what happens mm. um, or is it a bit of a toothless tiger when they say these things and and then, yeah we well I, I think um, one way that they're doing it is by making the banks have more capital yeah I mean, we're getting a little bit technical here but yeah. effectively for the banks to lend out money they need to have a certain amount of money on their balance sheet and the more capital that they have uh, it reduces effectively their return on yep. equity it reduces their returns. So by requiring the banks to have more capital, uh, they're actually constraining them a bit. I, I, from what I hear, they're doing that a lot. That that's the I guess the supply side mm. where they're trying to have an effect. But you know, talking the property bubble down or whatever, I just wonder how actually effective that is. But it's also I think that the decisions will have flow on to behaviour. You know, like mm. if they are saying that we're limiting the investment book, then it will reduce the amount of investment lending that's done. You know, mm. it's it's a fact. But mm. what's the what's the unintended consequence of that? Are people going to pretend that they're going to buy their own home and then decide that, oh actually we're going to rent this out now, which There's is no absolutely doubt. feasible. So yeah. you're going to create a, a loophole that people can jump through Correct. and you and I know that as advisors, we look for those loopholes and as mortgage brokers, they look for these loopholes. And yeah. um, I just don't know if you're well, ever going to be able to close everything. Well, it's one of the banks, I can't remember, it might have been ANZ that said they couldn't actually even differentiate <laughs> between the investment and the, the personal. I mean, now I'm sure for all new loans, they're much more careful about it. But Correct. for some, they didn't even have the software. They figured, well, if it's secured by a principal residence property, if it's secured by a residential property, then they don't a, really know yeah. the difference. I guess it's a question of, I suppose, if they wanted to do a full audit, they, there's no reason why they couldn't go back to every borrower and, and investigate what the deal is. And maybe that's maybe that's where we're going to be heading. But then the cost of doing banking would would go up absolutely. The yeah, but if they can up. if they can get an extra point two or point four percent on your loan, they can do that across huge well, numbers. But of what people. I'm saying, they, they'll do it. And as I said, politically, there's no there's no push back against them doing it yeah but to have the have the people and the manpower to actually go out and do that is going to cost yeah. more money so they're probably going to put up rates anyway you know what i mean like that's yeah. what we're talking about before yeah okay well you're listening to the finance hour on jair either live or on podcast we welcome your sms's you can sms 047 88 that's 047 88 we are now going to take a very short break 
and we'll then come back with some more interesting topics. Craig, what's the next thing that caught your attention over the last couple of weeks? Well, it's probably been a little bit longer than the couple of weeks, but um, I've noticed a lot more coming up when you buy things online and in-store, this this uh, advice pay business. Mm. Have, have you noticed it at all when you're checking out online? I haven't, no. So, Is it an online payment yeah. system? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. So I've looked into it a little bit further and um, I, wrote a, I wrote a full blog piece on it because yeah. I, I saw how people could get easily caught up in this and mm. the, I heard the guy interviewed on a podcast and he was a really interesting guy he came from a jewellery retail background and basically the way it works is that um, you are not charged interest um, yeah. you're approved up to $800 without any credit checks yeah. and you can split your payment over five equal fortnightly payments so yes. the only thing that you pay is a, is a late fee if you miss your payment. So it's like the old lay-by. It's exactly like a modern lay-by. Thing, yeah. yeah. So um, I didn't realize how big a business lay-by was in Australia. It's mm. actually a $2 billion per year business. Yeah, it's massive. Um, which is incredible. Um, but a modern lay-by is what advice pay has sort of pigeonholed right. itself to keep it simple. But what I, what I did take away from it was that um, the average customer spend had gone up for mm. people that use advice pay yeah. and the people that they were targeting were young girls you yeah. know and and to me I wrote in my piece that I'm like well if if these people had to save that same amount of money in 5 weeks mm. then walk into the store and buy whatever they wanted from Topshop yeah. would they be spending the same amount of money and what are we encouraging by entering people into contracts so early well it's interesting it's a it's a behavioral it's a pattern. thing as well yeah. because people are always more willing to sacrifice their future self than they are their Correct. present self. So Correct. if they're going to buy something and they say, well, you know, it's 500 bucks, but I've only got to pay 100 bucks now, I've got yep. to pay 100 bucks down the track, yep. they're happy to sacrifice their future self. But on the other hand, for saving for it, if they have to save for weeks in advance, they're sacrificing their present self Yeah, and they don't want to do that. So it comes back to that psychological point that you were talking about before and I, I, I was just sort of thinking about it more and more and... Um, the issue that we have, we've spoken about, we've spoken about gearing, and we've spoken mm. about leverage and borrowing to make more money or to increase wealth. But this is purely borrowing for consumer goods. You know, Correct. it's and for me, it's it's almost it's a car loan, right? You know, mm. like you buy it and it's going down from the moment you buy it. You mm. know, um, how far are we getting trapped into these things where kids have got phone contracts, they've got advice pay for weeks and weeks and weeks, paying back their you know, their Bose headphones that mm. they bought without any credit checks and yeah. what happens, you know? And I don't know, have your kids ever got you in a position where they've racked up downloads on your iPhone and you've had to cover the phone bill? A little bit. I mean, we're pretty <laughs> strict with them on that. Yep. But I got them on a, on a phone contract effectively yep. because it ended up being worthwhile doing yeah. 40 bucks a month and every now and then... You know, my son will go over yeah. and I'll make him fork out the difference. Okay, interesting. But, but yeah, I mean, the whole, I said month to month pay, there are so many businesses that have kind of seen, hang on, this is a great model. You mm. know, most of those, a lot of those new online type businesses, if you talk about Spotify, yep. I mean, if you talk about something like Netflix or yep. Stan, they're yep. all predicated on that mu- smallish monthly amounts well, it also and comes- doing it at scale, you know, doing it at enormous scale and they become enormously profitable businesses. So to tie it back into what you were talking about before, for those people that are um, scamming online people mm. that don't check their accounts, do you think there's a thought behind it that if it's 
$9 a month or Absolutely. if it's, that people aren't going to notice it and they're just going to let it go. There's no question because yeah. you've probably got lots of $9, $10 a month things coming out. So there's a there's a really cool app that, that you're allowed to, which shows you which subscriptions you have and it will oh, turn wow. them off in the one app. So um, cool. I can't remember off the top of my head what That should be called. your hack of the week. It should have been my hack of the week. Yeah. I, uh, I let that one slip. But the, the challenge with it was that it was only ones that were on your phone. So I wanted one that did everything. So I would have... Only ones that are on your phone. So if you've downloaded the app and you've yeah. signed up to a regular subscription, so um, let's say... Oh, um, if you sign, so, so it doesn't go through your bank statements or anything No, like no, 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 no. What it does, it looks at what um, what things you've registered for through mm. your Apple iCloud mm. account. So you might oh, have Spotify, Netflix, Stan, um, yeah, your iCloud okay, storage. Um, yeah, those sort of ones. Mm. But I think it'd, it'd be a really interesting business for one that could actually pick up what you're Everything. signed up for by your email address or yeah. something like that. Uh, I think or by reading bank statements correct. or something. Yeah. Yeah, it could recognize the entry on the bank statement, yep. have a database of you know, when it's XYZ Proprietary Limited, it's Foxtel. But then they're gonna need they're gonna need to cover the Privacy Act and get information from mm. there through the data feeds and, and it's mm. just whether or not people are allowed for that. Because mm. But that's happening more and more. I mean correct. you look at all those accounting softwares, for example, they suck money straight out of your bank statement says that uh, there's that uh, business Acorn, yep. which is probably something a topic we should talk about. Yeah, yeah, definitely an, another time. Yep. but that basically what it does is it rounds up your spends. your small spends yeah. and invests it. So if you go spend ninety five cents on something, it'll round it up. You know, take the five cents and invest it in an exchange yeah. traded fund or something like that. Yeah. So more and more, and and that must have straight access to your bank accounts and credit cards. Yeah, definitely. So it comes back to that security thing that you're talking about. Yeah, but. Um, Interesting. Yeah, very interesting one. Alrighty. Um, now the other one that uh, that I want to talk about is the arrival of Amazon and Alibaba on our shores. Yep. So recently, there's been big news about Amazon coming and renting out big warehouses, employing huge amounts of staff, and they've obviously got enormous scale. Mm-hmm. And I think that nothing, no industry in retail is safe whether it's groceries, books, clothes, et cetera, these guys have worked out a fantastic supply chain yep. and deliver things very quickly. Yeah, They know what they're doing and they're going to come and have a big impact on some of the incumbents. So I guess uh, the question is, is you know, what does this mean for Australian businesses and consumers? Uh, is it a good or bad thing? And you know, where do we go? I guess it depends on which side of the fence you sit. You know, mm. if, if you're a consumer, I reckon it's awesome. You know, mm. I think there's a lot of pros to this stuff. Um, the downside to it, and, and I do have a little bit of an insight here having a couple of clients at work at Amazon, mm. um, I know where they're heading and it's pretty scary. You know, mm. what they'll be In able, terms of taking over. In terms of what they'll know about you mm. based on what you buy. You know, mm. so... But surely, I mean, more than any other company, more than Facebook? Uh, well... To give you a really good example, they're going to start selling a TV that can listen to what you say and then be able to advertise on your TV based on what you've spoken oh, about. So, come on. I mean, that can't do that. Well, that's surely that's going to breach all sorts of privacy things. But, I mean, it's already happening. So, you can, in your Facebook Messenger app, there's people that can advertise to you based, yeah, on, based what, on what you've written. But based on yeah. what you've written. But so, based on what, I mean, that's taking it to, that's taking it to how's 1984. It different? How's it different? To the level. Uh, what you say in the privacy of your own home. Well, what the difference of their privacy on your own home written? I don't know. I'm mm. sure you saw, You must sign something when you sign up with Facebook and Messenger that they can 
that can activate. It was actually, we got a bit of an aside, but I was watching Q&A the other day and they were talking about this Facebook feeds and algorithms. Yep. And what they were saying is about how once Facebook notices that you've got a particular view, maybe it's a right-wing political yep. view or whatever, they'll f- they'll fill your, mm-hmm. your um, what's it called? Your feed. Your feed yep. with more of those things, with more of the same sort mm-hmm. of articles. So what ends up happening is it ends up reinforcing people's beliefs rather yeah. than rather than looking at another side of the option. Yep. They they get reinforced what they're doing. But I, I guess to the point where it's like it's invasive. There's mm. a lot of people that cover up their webcam on their laptop for mm. that very reason. You mm. know that people can actually see in. They can watch what you're doing. They can know lots about you. And um, I think it's very interesting to sort of know what's happening. And I, it does take it a little bit away from the topic. But if if you're a big retailer, um, Meyer. Uh, David Jones, you know, people, you, you only have to look around like Collingwood, Brunswick, the people that mm. were manufacturing before, mm. it, it's dying, you know. It's, yeah, and that's what I, I have a worry for, in, you know, that we've got the issue of a lot of these companies coming here, whether or not they're paying the right taxes. Yep. There's a massive fight with back and fro with the government on how much they're paying in tax. Google and Apple, they're paying bugger all tax and turning over billions of dollars here. And what does it mean for... You know, Australian employees and small businesses because small businesses are a massive part of the economy yeah. and they're all going to get stuffed by them. Now, the answer which they often give you is say, well, you've got to innovate. You've mm-hmm. got to find a niche. You've got to differentiate yourself in some way. But not everyone can do that. No, I, I do agree. And I, I just think... Um I think there will be some people that are casualties of this, you know, mm. that, and there's there's no shying away from that. What I do think, though, is that it is inevitable that things are going to change. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like the people that sold saddles before cars came around, you know, yeah. like they were, or, or a blacksmith, you know, mm. like there's a reason some of these things get made antiquated. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think it's as severe as what, well, we're talking. I don't think it's going to be overnight. No, and I do think that people are warned. It's not like people don't know about these things. Mm. You know, it's shoved down our throat. You mentioned yeah. Facebook. Everybody knows what's going on, right? Yeah, and you're right. It's like any other change in the industrial age or whatever yeah. that that occurred. But I guess when you're seeing it in front of you, and you don't know what the future is going to hold, it's just unknown. I mean, yeah. you can look back on those things like the horse and the car and all that. And it's like, you know, you can look back on it nostalgically, but when it's Ooh. happening in front of you and it's going to affect your family and your kids' exactly. jobs. And yep. Yeah. I find it a bit scary. But I think there's also things that are po- like, it depends on which way you look at it. Like you look at, I mean, your kids are not uni age yet, but they'll no. be coming there soon. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that are challenging the the price of a university degree now and, and the relevance. And I think that there's some things that they might be coming into that you may not have to pay $30,000 for uni anymore. You mm. might be able to get the same degree for three grand. And um, you can't have it both ways. I you thought can't, uni fees were going up. But they are for the traditional way of doing things. Right, there'll be but, other ways. But you can going. get a, you can look at Harvard, you can look at, you can look at all the courses that are there. You can get the material for free. Yeah. So it's, well, which one is, is it? Harvard? Harvard you can do online. almost any single any course, course online. online. Yep. It's, it's amazing. I actually looked at that at one point, but then... When it comes to online courses, I just find I get distracted too easily being in front of my computer. It just, but and, it, and even if it's a webinars, whatever it is, I, I get distracted too easily. I guess the thing then you come back to what price accountability, you know, mm. like how much do you need to pay a university to babysit you through a course? Mm. And that's mm. kind of what they, they cookie cut you through Correct. Um, and get you out. 
Um, Correct. But there's also, I mean, we, we go into different things. There's something about university life as well. Yeah. That, that you know, is an important part of growing up and a really enjoyable part of it. Ab- you know? Absolutely. And, and if you're sitting at home, you know, in front of your computer, I mean, what kind of experience are you having? Well, and to your point with this online retailer stuff, it's that community stuff that's going to be gone. Like, you're mm. not going to have customer service anymore. You know, mm. you're not going to go into David Jones and have a lady who's been working there for 43 mm. years walk you through the purchase of a shirt. You know, yeah. it's yeah. going to be an online bot that pops up and says, Hi, Craig, um, do you have any questions? Which will be answered mm. by 46 different people in Manila. Mm. You know, like, um, depending on what time of day it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Alrighty, well, we're starting to get towards the end. I'm going to do my propeller of the week very shortly, but we didn't talk about your hack of the week. No, I, I didn't have one didn't completely have one lined up. But I, I guess the thing for me is is we've spoken a bit about you know bills and 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 things just coming out and yep. not questioning it, questioning it rather. And I think the thing for me that I would challenge people to do is check with providers you mm. know go back and and work out what's being paid yeah um, do some research into it and compare the market yeah. and then ask a question you know you've really that, got to lock away i reckon a half a day half a day a year you know to, to do it half a day a year and, and turn everything else off and just just focus on it i think it's you and and look we've we've done it with telstra we've done it with yeah. banks you know calling up and asking for interest rate discounts mm. without having to move mm. just do it you know like we all know we should but the simplest way is to block away it doesn't even have to be half a day in two hours you'll kill it yeah. um and i reckon if you could save yourself five grand a year there's not many of us earning two and a half grand an hour you know yeah. it's a it's a pretty good result yeah Alrighty, excellent. Now, it's time for my Propeller Head of the Week. Go for it. I'm going to continue on the insurance theme, and I'm going to talk about agreed versus indemnity income protection policies. So, I think everybody knows when it comes to things like car insurance, agreed versus indemnity. Obviously, agreed is you've got a locked-in price suite that you'd get paid. Indemnity is based on whatever the market the value, market value yep. of the property at the time. And it's similar with income protection in that you can either lock in at the very beginning what they're going to pay your income protection on, and it's a maximum of 75%. That's an agreed policy where you've got to prove your income up front, and then if it comes to claim, they won't ask what your income is. The other type of policy, which is probably the more common one, is indemnity. So you don't actually prove your income at, at the time of application. You just state what it is. And then at the time of claim, they'll pay you up, up to a maximum of 75% of what your income is at the time of claim. So, for example, if let's say when you applied for your income protection, it was a, your salary was a hundred thousand, and you got seventy five thousand dollars because you get maximum seventy five percent of cover. Let's say your salary had dropped, but you're still paying the same premium. Your salary dropped to eighty thousand. You'd actually only get paid seventy five percent of the eighty thousand under an indemnity policy, and that can be a real sting in the tail. So. Generally speaking, indemnity policies are okay for employees who've got pretty steady income and generally their income is going to increase at least in line with inflation. But definitely for business owners, agreed policy is the way to go where your income might fluctuate. You want to lock it in at the beginning. The agreed policy is generally about 10 to 15% more expensive than the indemnity policy. So it's just a really important point when you take out your income protection policy, check whether it's agreed versus indemnity and whether it's right for you. And the other one, just to add to that, is just the endorsed agreed, where they're providing the financials, um, whereas you can get it and get it signed off as being an agreed policy where they still can ask for financials yes. at claim time. So Yes. You may as well do the endorsed. There's, Correct. There's no downside really, is no, there? No. It's just a matter of a bit of extra paperwork Correct. at the time. Yeah. But um, all righty. Well, that's all that we've got time for today. 
Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. It's definitely been a different sort of format, and I think one that Craig and I have really enjoyed. Um, I am now taking a bit of a break. I'm going to Israel for Passover, for Pesach, so there's going to be a few weeks off the show, uh, but we'll be back in towards the end of April. Thank you, and have a good afternoon.